The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a very special presentation tonight from the Montgomery Inn in downtown Cincinnati. I'm Dave Mitchell, along with Mark Donahue, and tonight... We have got the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for you from downtown Cincinnati. Glad to have you along this evening on Ultimate Sports Talk. We are located in the bar area here at the Montgomery Inn, and it should be a lot of fun. We're on the air now tonight for two special hours here this evening as the Reds and the Cleveland Indians are taking on each other just up the street at Great American Ballpark. And uh, we'll be talking about that as the show continues along tonight, but I don't have to tell you that we're going to go down south tonight because we're already down south, and it'll bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, this is the first time, I was thinking about this today, we have actually done this show for the first time in seven years face-to-face. And I can say, I wish I was back on the phone. <laughs> well, uh, Dave, uh, we have done this now for seven years, and I think we've done, what, how many, at least 30 uh, broadcasts a year, a, year, a couple yeah. hundred broadcasts, and uh, after seeing you face to face, I make let's put it this way: we both have faces for radio. That's absolutely right. So, uh, but it's great to be here at the Montgomery End. What a venue! And as we speak to you live, we're looking out over the Ohio River, and it's a beautiful evening in Cincinnati. And uh, it's going to be an interesting week this week with the Reds playing the Indians in a split four-game series. Two games here in Cincinnati, and then uh, both teams head up north and, and go to Cleveland for two games. So it's always an interesting week when these teams get together. Uh, you and I have lamented that uh, for a number of years, for some reason, Major League Baseball they sponsor these ga- or they they schedule these games uh, during the middle of the week, and you'd think that they would do these on the weekend because both teams would have fans coming from Cincinnati and Cleveland. And you'd have sellouts at both venues, but they don't seem to do that. But nonetheless, it's going to be an exciting series. And unfortunately, we are going to be talking about two teams going in opposite directions. The Cleveland Indians are getting their legs under them and beginning to play like everybody thought they were going to play. And then the Reds, unfortunately, have come back to earth. They've lost seven of eight. And uh, we'll get into the reasons for that uh, in a few minutes. But uh, it's still going to be a fun series nonetheless. Well, the Reds are coming into tonight's ball game with a 20-23 and 23 record. As you said, they've lost seven of their last eight. They went 1-5 and five during the week, and they've dropped into fourth place. They're four and a half games <clears throat> behind Milwaukee in the National League Central. The Indians, on the other hand, they're 23-19. and 19. They went 4-2 and two last week. They're in a first-place tie with Minnesota. They're two in front of Detroit, who lost last night, three over the White Sox, and five-and-a-half games over Kansas City. I was looking at our notes from a year ago, Mark. A year ago this time, the Indians were a half a game behind 
Kansas City at this point in the season in the American League Central. So they're setting better, but Kansas City, boy, they've fallen upon some hard times. They, they seem to see, get their season turned around, but now they're falling upon hard times again. Well, that team was made up primarily of an unbelievable bullpen uh, two or three years ago. That's why they went to the World Series two years in a row. Uh, but that, that's not the same team. And, you know, they, they made a mistake, I think, like the, a lot of mid-market teams do. They don't build on their success, and that is why you have teams go up and down in the mid-markets, uh, because they don't make that final investment to sustain uh, their excellence. In Kansas City, with the pitching they had a few years ago and the speed and defense, uh, they were never a big power-hitting team. But uh, they never went out and, and rounded out that, that offense, and I think the league has caught up with them. Well, one thing about it, this Ohio Cup Series, as they started to call it years ago when the, uh, the brainchild of Major League Baseball was to start interleague play, and they seemed to think that they were going to make the Reds and the Indians a rivalry. And I heard Marty Brenneman talking about it earlier this afternoon on the radio, that you cannot force a rivalry. Something has to happen, and realistically, Mark, at the beginning of this Ohio Cup series, as they called it, the Reds had won 11 of 19 series, but over the past few years, the Indians have won 9 of the last 10. This really has not been much of a rivalry, and Major League Baseball, not to its credit, but to its demise, really, of this interleague playing system, when they have the the Yankees and the Mets play, whom are only 20 miles Outside of proximity of each other, they have those two teams playing on the weekends, three game sets, no matter what, twice. But for the Indians and the Reds, who are five hours away, depending upon how you drive, four if you're driving. <laughs> but when you're looking at that situation, you've got them playing down here in Cincinnati for two games on Monday, Tuesday, and then up in Cleveland on Wednesday, Thursday. The average working man cannot make the trip to those two games and still get back in time for work the next morning, or at least get back in time for work without taking a couple hours of sleep. Well, you know what really makes a a rivalry, though, is something a little more fundamental. It's a good fight (laughs) or or, or somebody getting hit in the helmet and then the next four guys on the other team getting hit. That is what usually makes the, the makings of a good rivalry. But you're right. Cleveland and Cincinnati have never had that that competitiveness like the Cardinals and the Reds do, or even the Cubs and the Reds. And I, I think Marty's right. I don't think you can manufacture that. Uh, but sometimes when you, you have some bad blood brewing between a team or two, uh, that, that certainly sustains a, a rivalry for a while anyway. Scott Feldman's going tonight for the Reds. He's pitching with a 2-4 and four record of 4.29 ERA. Josh Tomlin's going this evening for the Indians. He is 2-5 and five this year, a 6.86 ERA. Mark, I think this is a very important start for Josh Tomlin because the Indians are going to have a decision to make when Corey Kluber <coughs> comes back. and We'll talk about Kluber a little bit later on. He just started to throw. But when he comes back, probably at the end of next week is when he is slated to start, the Indians are going to have a decision as to who to pull out of that five-man rotation because Mike Clevenger has just been pitching outstanding baseball, 2-1, and one, and he almost threw a no-hitter against Houston on Friday night. He has done an outstanding job in the rotation. I don't know how you take this kid out. And as far as the Indians are concerned, they've got two pitchers right now in Tomlin, who goes tonight against the Reds, and Bauer, who will go later on this week against the Reds up in Cleveland. 
and they're going to have to make a decision as to which one of those two is going to get pulled out of the rotation or go with a six-man rotation with Joe Madden has done a couple of times with the Cubs. Well, the Indians are suffering from an abundance of riches because uh, any one of the pitcher, starting pitchers for the Indians currently, uh, forget about Kluber, would be a number one pitcher for the Reds. That, that's the difference in these teams, that the Indians, despite some anemic offensive numbers, uh, are still in first place. The Reds have great numbers across the board in, in other areas, but the starting pitching, it is, let me throw this out at you. The Reds have a team batting average of 265, which is seventh in Major League Baseball. They're fifth in defense in Major League Baseball. The third best bullpen in Major League Baseball. They lead both, they lead both leagues in stolen bases. If you would look at those things and say, wow, that team must be eight games over 500. The Reds also have, they're the I guess the third worst ERA in baseball, a 4.77 ERA, and that is with the best bullpen in the National League and the third best in baseball. But they've also given up 62 home runs. And that, you talk about the downfall of a team, there's one area where this team is falling apart, and hopefully in the not-too-distant future, they're going to be getting back DeSclafani, Homer Bailey, and Finnegan should all be coming back. But the problem is the Reds may be 10 games out of first place by the time that happens. DeSclafani is uh, back. He's throwing. He threw a couple of days ago 40, 40 pitches, and uh, that was just off of the, off, not even off of the mound. Now what they're hoping for, Mark, is that over the next couple of days he'll be able to throw again and not have any any problems with his motion. Well, it's it's going to be a while before those guys are back. And then, you know, you have to worry, too, when they do come back, how effective are they going to be in their first four or five starts? Uh, Bailey hasn't pitched in two and a half years. Uh, Finnegan was hurt a month ago. Uh, Di Sclafani, second year in a row, he's had an injury. Actually, third year in a row he's had an injury. So clearly there's something amiss in what the Reds are doing in preparation for the season. There's no excuse to have eight starting pitchers over the last two years be on the DL for the first half of seasons back-to-back. That's absurd. I don't know what they're doing, but they have to look at their, their training regimen over the year because right now it's not working. Well, as we said, we're broadcasting live tonight from the Montgomery Inn, which is down on Riverside Drive, just up the street from Great American Ballpark. Major League Baseball regulations do not allow us to broadcast live inside a Major League Baseball facility during a ball game. That is why we are up the street here at the Montgomery Inn, but glad to be here tonight. First time we've ever taken the show on the road, so to speak, and they're getting underway at Great American Ballpark. We'll keep you abreast of what's happening there. But, Mark, you talked about the starting pitching for the Reds, and and that's one of the things we might as well get into it. It seems to be the story around Cincinnati uh, over the last couple of days is Bronson Arroyo. Does he deserve to stay in the starting lineup or in the starting rotation? Should he be taken out of the starting rotation? And if so, who do you put in? You've been a proponent ever since the opening day that Bronson Arroyo should not be in the starting rotation for the Reds, and I've said he should be. Nonetheless, what are they going to do with Bronson Arroyo after yesterday's performance? 
I don't think they have much of a choice. Uh, I would rather bring up a triple-A or double-A pitcher and give him an opportunity. And believe me, I am a fan of Bronson Arroyo. Uh, I, I like him. You sure don't act like it. Well, You're not I, on I his am. Christmas card list. I, I am. I've always liked him, because not only because he was a, an effective pitcher. He wasn't a great pitcher. Uh, he was effective, and he was a good four- or five-man guy on your rotation. But this year, that you you can't argue with the numbers. I mean, he, he's had nine starts. He's averaging 5.1 innings per start. The idea was he was going to, you know, be an innings eater for this team. That has not worked out. Uh, his ERA is almost seven. He's given up 15 home runs in only 46 innings. His whip is 1.48. There, there is not one statistic that if you looked at this guy, other than you know it's Bronson Arroyo, would you say, does he deserve another start? No, the answer would be no. But because it's Bronson Arroyo, he's been given the benefit of the doubt. And I would replace him, and I said this at the beginning of the year, I would have Stevenson in the starting rotation. I think Stevenson's got to give you a reason to put him in the starting rotation. Well, how, how much worse could he do? Well, I've Bronson seen Arroyo. Stevenson. Here we go. <laughs> I've seen Stevenson pitch. There's not much between his ears. Uh, that's where Bronson Arroyo probably has the advantage over Stevenson. Do I think that Bronson Arroyo should probably be taken out of the rotation? I'm starting to come around to your way of thinking. But when it comes to Stevenson being placed in the rotation, I've really got to question that because I haven't seen anything that this guy has done to deserve to be put into the rotation. Well, I've seen nothing that indicates that Arroyo deserves to stay in it. So, you know, we can, we can again... Okay, so let's say I agree with your, your assessment that Arroyo should be taken out. You're a wise other, man. Other than Stevenson, who else do you put in the starting rotation? I don't know who they have in AAA that may be ready, but there's a, there's a couple of arms down in AA, and a lot of teams are not as hesitant to bring up somebody from Double A as the Reds seem to be. This uh, Miley, uh, Miley, Miley, I think that's how you say his name, he's already pitched a, a no-hitter this year. In fact, it was a perfect game. But that's not the only reason. He's got a 128 ERA. Uh, he's got every indication he's going to be a, he's a pitcher. He's not a thrower. Uh, they, they said one of the best descriptions I heard of him, he's Greg Maddox, but he throws harder. So, to me, yeah, you're go- you, you might get in trouble bringing him up. But, if you know, the Reds are only four games out of first place. Mm-hmm. And you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. What happens if this team is only two, three, four games out of a wild card spot at the All-Star break? What do you do? Do, do you think we have a chance? Because nobody's going to run away with the Central Division. It's too tight. So, if that's the case... Why would you have a Bronson Arroyo who you know for a fact is not going to be in the rotation next year? He's getting lit up now. Do you go out and get somebody to replace him? Do you trade somebody? I I, I don't have an answer to that. But somebody at the Reds' front office is going to have to make a pretty serious decision about what you do if this team is competitive, because they've not been competitive for a while, and you really have a chance to go out and do something in the second half of the year. I just mentioned you're going to get DiSclefani, Bailey, and Finnegan, and Singrani back. Maybe. Maybe. Well, that's, everybody says that's the case. If it is the case, now you've got, you've got a pretty good rotation. Do you you go know, I, would have, I would have no problems with them bringing Cody Reed back up and putting him back in the rotation. 
If if you're going to put somebody into the rotation, it might as well be someone right now that is going to give you a better opportunity to win than Bronson Arroyo, which I know you say it would be almost anybody. I don't think that's Robin Stevenson. Well, here's another guy that – here's the other interesting thing with the Reds. You've got Lorenzen and you've got um, the right-hander. Iglesias. Iglesias. Those two guys had been programmed in for years as starters. Mm-hmm. And they are, for some reason, hesitant to put them in the rotation. But wouldn't you start there? Maybe put Lorenzen in the starting rotation? You can't tell me he wouldn't put up better numbers in Arroyo. Now, you do take out something in your bullpen. But this year, the Reds' bullpen has been very effective. So I think if you get more starting pitching and have, you know, the starters go further into games, and and Lorenzen, I think, would do that, uh, you've got Iglesias and Lorenzen who – in I think on a lot of teams, they would be starters right now. Probably. And, and I, there, there must be something the front office is feeling that uh, they're going to hurt their arms. Well, they were, they were groomed as starters to begin with. So in answer to your question, I think they have the answer to that on their 25-man roster, even if it's not in their 40-man roster. That, that's the difference in these teams, that the Indians, despite some anemic offensive numbers, uh, are still in first place. The Reds have great numbers across the board in, in other areas, but the starting pitching. It, it is. Let, let me throw this out at you. The Reds have a team batting average of 265, which is seventh in Major League Baseball. They're fifth in defense in Major League Baseball. The third best bullpen in Major League Baseball. They lead both. They lead both leagues in stolen bases. If you would look at those things and say, "Wow." That team must be eight games over 500. The Reds also have, they're the, I guess, the third worst ERA in baseball, a 4.77 ERA, and that is with the best bullpen in the National League and the third best in baseball. But they've also given up 62 home runs. And that, you talk about the downfall of a team, there's one area where this team is falling apart. And hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, they're going to be getting back DeSclafani, Homer Bailey, and Finnegan should all be coming back. But the problem is the Reds may be 10 games out of first place by the time that happens. DeSclafani is uh, back. He's throwing. He threw a couple of days ago 40 40 pitches, and uh, that was just off of the – not even off of the mound – now what they're hoping for, Mark, is that over the next couple of days he'll be able to throw again and not have any any problems with his motion. Well, it's it's going to be a while before those guys are back. And then, you know, you have to worry, too, when they do come back, how effective are they going to be in their first four or five starts? Uh, Bailey hasn't pitched in two and a half years. Uh, Finnegan was hurt a month ago. Uh, Di Stefani, second year in a row he's had an injury. Actually, third year in a row he's had an injury. So clearly there's something amiss in what the Reds are doing in preparation for the season. There's no excuse to have eight starting pitchers over the last two years be on the DL for the first half of seasons back-to-back. That's absurd. I don't know what they're doing, but they have to look at their, their training regimen over the year because right now it's not working. 
Well, as we said, we're broadcasting live tonight from the Montgomery Inn, which is down on Riverside Drive, just up the street from Great American Ballpark. Major League Baseball regulations do not allow us to broadcast live inside a Major League Baseball facility during a ball game. That is why we are up the street here at the Montgomery Inn, but glad to be here tonight. First time we've ever taken the show on the road, so to speak, and they're getting underway at Great American Ballpark. We'll keep you abreast of what's happening there. But, Mark, you talked about the starting pitching for the Reds, and and that's one of the things we might as well get into it. It seems to be the story around Cincinnati uh, over the last couple of days is Bronson Arroyo. Does he deserve to stay in the starting lineup or in the starting rotation? Should he be taken out of the starting rotation? And if so, who do you put in? You've been a proponent ever since the opening day that Bronson Arroyo should not be in the starting rotation for the Reds, and I've said he should be. Nonetheless, what are they going to do with Bronson Arroyo after yesterday's performance? I don't think they have much of a choice. Uh, I would rather bring up a triple-A or double-A pitcher and give him an opportunity. And believe me, I am a fan of Bronson Arroyo. Uh, I, I like him. You sure don't act like it. Well, You're well, not I, on I his am. Christmas card list. I, I am. I've always liked him, because not only because he was a, an effective pitcher. He wasn't a great pitcher. Uh, he was effective, and he was a good four- or five-man guy on your rotation. But this year, that you you can't argue with the numbers. I mean, he, he's had nine starts. He's averaging 5.1 innings per start. The idea was he was going to, you know, be an innings eater for this team. That has not worked out. Uh, his ERA is almost seven. He's given up 15 home runs in only 46 innings. His whip is 1.48. There, there is not one statistic that if you looked at this guy, other than you know it's Bronson Arroyo, would you say, does he deserve another start? No, the answer would be no. But because it's Bronson Arroyo, he's been given the benefit of the doubt. And I, I would replace him, and I said this at the beginning of the year, I would have Stevenson in, in the starting rotation. I think Stevenson's got to give you a reason to put him in the starting rotation. Well, how, how much worse could he do? Well, than, than I've Bronson seen Stevenson. Here we go. <laughs> I've seen Stevenson pitch. There's not much between his ears. Uh, that's where Bronson Arroyo probably has the advantage over Stevenson. Do I think that Bronson Arroyo should probably be taken out of the rotation? I, I'm starting to come around to your way of thinking. But when it comes to Stevenson being placed in the rotation, I've really got to question that because I haven't seen anything that this guy has done to deserve to be put into the rotation. Well, I've seen nothing that indicates that Arroyo deserves to stay in it. So, you know, we can, we can again... Okay, so let's say I agree with your, your assessment that Arroyo should be taken out. You're a wise other, man. Other than Stevenson, who else do you put in the starting rotation? I don't know who they have in AAA that may be ready, but there's a, there's a couple of arms down in AA, and a lot of teams are not as hesitant to bring up somebody from AA as the Reds seem to be. This... Uh, Miley, uh, Miley, Miley, I think that's how you say his name. He's already pitched a, a no-hitter this year. In fact, it was a perfect game. But that's not the only reason. He's got a 128 ERA. Uh, he's got every indication he's going to be a, he's a pitcher. He's not a thrower. Uh, they, they said one of the best descriptions I heard of him, he's Greg Maddox, but he throws harder. So uh, to me, yeah, you're go, you, you might get in trouble bringing him up. 
But if you know the Reds are only four games out of first place, mm-hmm. and you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What happens if this team is only two, three, four games out of a wild card spot at the All Star break? What do you do? do? Do you think we have a chance? Because nobody's going to run away with the Central Division. It's too tight. So if that's the case, why would you have a Bronson Arroyo, who you know for a fact is not going to be in the rotation next year? He's getting lit up now. Do you go out and get somebody to replace him? Do you trade somebody? I, I, I don't have an answer to that. But somebody at the Reds' front office is going to have to make a pretty serious decision about what you do if this team is competitive, because they've not been competitive for a while, and you really have a chance to go out and do something in the second half of the year. I just mentioned you're going to get DiStefani, Bailey, and Finnegan, and Singrani back. Maybe. Maybe. Well, that's, everybody says that's the case. If it is the case, now you've got, you've got a pretty good rotation. Do you you go know, I, would have, I would have no problems with them bringing Cody Reed back up and putting him back in the rotation. If, if you're going to put somebody into the rotation – it might as well be someone right now that is going to give you a better opportunity to win than Bronson Arroyo, which I know you say it would be almost anybody. I don't think that's Robert Stevenson. Well, here's another guy. that. Here's the other interesting thing with the Reds. You've got Lorenzen and you've got um, the right-hander. Iglesias. Iglesias. Those two guys had been programmed in for years as starters. Mm-hmm. And they are, for some reason, hesitant to put them in the rotation. But wouldn't you start there? Maybe put Lorenzen in the starting rotation? You can't tell me he wouldn't put up better numbers in Arroyo. Now, you do take out something in your bullpen. But this year, the Reds' bullpen has been very effective. So I think if you get more starting pitching and have, you know, the starters go further into games, and and Lorenzen, I think, would do that, uh, you've got Iglesias and Lorenzen who – in I think on a lot of teams, they would be starters right now. Probably. And, and I, there, there must be something the front office is feeling that uh, they're going to hurt their arms. Well, they were, they were groomed as starters to begin with. So in answer to your question, I think they have the answer to that on their 25-man roster, even if it's not in their 40-man roster. Well, it may, it may be that, but if you take a Lorenzen or – and Iglesias out of your bullpen, just how much do you damage your bullpen? Well, that's the unknown, but you, you can't have much of a worse performance than is being gotten from the starting rotation. They're getting hammered every day, and it, it, it's almost a 7 ERA, and, but the, the worst part is they're going two, three, four, five innings. That's the problem, and it, so it's not just the idea of uh, shoring up – You. Whether it's for your bullpen or your starting rotation, you've got to get 27 outs. And you and I have had this discussion. My theory is that you, you, could, you could approach this rotation in a different way than they're doing. And I, I hope by the beginning of the second half they're going to have a full complement of pitchers back and, and give this thing a go because I think they can win the division or at least get a wild card spot. Well, they've got the hitting to do it. The question is, are they going to be able to shore up their pitching enough to be able to do it? You know, you've got you've got four guys on this team that could hit 30 home runs this year. Now that's 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 a good that's a good hitting team, and you're going to have the team has great speed. Uh, we're watching Billy Hamilton on first base now. Here's uh, the matchup I've wanted to see. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about this, and, and Billy Hamilton just got a single to center field. But the Reds have all the pieces, Dave. 
and they're not as strong as the Indians, but I would, I would make the argument right now they're a better offensive team than the Cleveland Indians. Um, that I I've, I've, would never deny that. Um, I think the Indians lost a little bit offensively when they lost Rajay Davis a year ago, not from the batting standpoint, but from the base-stealing standpoint. When Rajay Davis got on, he was a base-stealer. And right now, the, the man that's leading the team in base-stealing is Michael Brantley, who came back from an injury a year ago. So the Indians lost something on the base pass. The Reds have seemed to gone back to... 1980s style with Billy Hamilton. They like to get him on base, and boy, he can really cause havoc. And we're watching Josh Tomlin right now, trying to hold him close. And, and uh, so right now, what we've got is a fly ball out to right field, but we're not allowed to do play by play. But nonetheless, but Hamilton's still on there. And like we said, that's the the matchup I've wanted to see for the last couple of weeks, Mark. This is what I've been anticipating with the Reds and Indians playing: is Billy Hamilton going up against? the Indians catchers in Jan Gomes and Perez behind the plate because they've got the best percentage of throwing out base stealers in the American League this year. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch this, this four-game series because they, Billy Hamilton can, as you say, cause havoc. I, you know, I don't know why they don't run him more often, though. He, he's 20 out of 22, and it's so often that you, what, he just, what happened here – uh, he, he gets a single to center field, doesn't even try to steal with, with Cozart at the plate. And you, you could have him at second base with Votto and Cozart coming up. Uh, the Reds just don't – I don't know if he's on – his green light is his decision to run, or does the decision to run come from the bench? A lot of managers, especially now with Votto up, they like to keep that hole open between first and second. And maybe that's what, that's what Brian Price's idea is. I will say this, there goes Hamilton right now. And they're going to bounce it into second base, but so Hamilton ends up at second base. But so I didn't get to see the Indians try to throw him out, but Votto did advance the runner. But what we're not seeing, Mark, is the Indians stealing a lot of bases. As far as the Reds are concerned, I agree with you. But you know, I've seen a lot of times where Hamilton has had the opportunity to go. The one thing that surprises me about Billy, he doesn't get that big a lead. Yeah, he doesn't. You're right. Uh, but I don't think. At one time, I was a base dealer, but big leads are overrated. It's how quickly you read the pitcher, and you don't want to be going. And what happens a lot of times, a runner will get too big a lead. He knows he's got a big lead, and his first movement is back to the bag because he knows he's off. And if a pitcher makes a move, his first instinct is to go back to the bag. I'd rather have a runner get a decent lead and then get a secondary lead before he takes off and steals. Well, as we've got it here, we're broadcasting live from the Montgomery Inn here in downtown Cincinnati. Glad you could join us tonight on Ultimate Sports Talk. And if you get the opportunity, pop on down here and say hello to us. We're in the bar area. Of course, the Reds and Indians are going to be playing again tomorrow night at Great American Ballpark. And then they go up to Cleveland on Wednesday and Thursday, and they will play up there uh, coming up, as we said, on Wednesday and Thursday. Mark, the Reds, I want to talk a little bit about their bullpen. We've already brought it up. But Asher Wojciechowski came in on Saturday, and I thought he pitched. It's hard to say the best out of the bullpen for the Reds this year because their bullpen has really done a job. But Wojciechowski came in in that game against Colorado this weekend, Mark, and pitched three and two-thirds of one-hit baseball. Brian Price 
I thought made a mistake, pulled him out with a four-run lead in the ninth inning. I thought he should have let him go ahead and close it out, but he didn't. He brought in Iglesias, who got the final out. But Wojciechowski really did a job, a number on the Rockies on Saturday. Yeah, he not only pitched well, but he pitched well at a time the team really needed him to pitch well. The bullpen was eaten up, and uh, he, he, he came through. Uh, I'm not that much of a fan of a one-performance event to get excited about a pitcher. Let's see how he does the second, third, fourth time out. Uh, these young pitchers, the, the hitters don't know him. Uh, they have no book on him. And because of that, sometimes a pitcher can come in and be very dominant and then go out and get and get up, lit up the next time. And what was interesting about him, he was down in Louisville. And that Louisville, the Bats had an 18-inning game on Friday night. He got called up at 2 a.m. in the morning, Saturday morning, got literally four hours sleep, got in his car, drove to Cincinnati, and played that afternoon and pitched those three and two-thirds innings. He said he was running on mainly adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that, that's it's a great story. And, and, you know, I hope the guy has a, has a great career with the Reds. But, you know, what he experienced coming up this way, although he's been in the big leagues before, uh, you know, this is uh, something he'll never forget the rest of his life. But uh, you, you were mentioning before we went on the air about uh, hitters catching up with pitchers. And you could throw 100 miles an hour. You throw the 100 miles an hour long enough to a major league hitter, and they're going to they're going to cream it. And so many times, you know, you'll see great performances. And talk about Amir Garrett. When the season started, his first three or four spots, everybody thought he's the next Sandy Koufax. But the league has caught up with him. So now it's up to him to make the adjustment to the adjustment that the hitters made, because these hitters will wear out video machines and look for where his curveball ends up, where his slider ends up, the fastball, all that stuff. So it's a, it's a constant game of, of matching up with what they, what they learn about each other. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Wojciechowski. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. But uh, if he's a, a star this year, I'll learn how to pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> Wojciechowski. We had that discussion, not you and I, but I had that discussion with somebody else over the weekend <clears throat> because the Reds announcers were having problems with it, uh, pronouncing the name. It's just Wojo Howski. Very, very simple, very easy to say if you're not him. But nonetheless, that, that's where, where it is. Right now, the Reds took a one to nothing lead in the bottom half of the first inning over the Indians, and the Indians got out of it without any run, any more runs scored, so it's one to nothing as we head into the second inning. Other than the Reds and the Indians, there's other baseball going on around the, the world today, and one of them is an adult league that we have, and Mark has got a special guest here beside him that we want to talk to about that from the president of the Roy Hobbs League, Tom Giffen. Yeah, Tom, first of all, welcome to Cincinnati, and uh, get you hooked up here. Hey, nice to be here. Uh, Tom comes to us from Fort Myers via Canton, Ohio, and uh, Tom is, the, as Dave had said, he's the president and CEO of the Roy Hobbs Adult Baseball Tournaments, and I can attest that if you've never been involved in adult baseball, it's a kick. It's something that if, you, if you've played baseball in high school or college or, or just always wanted to play baseball, there is a league around for you to play, and Roy Hobbs is, is I th in my opinion, the best 
uh, league in the country to do that. But, Tom, give us some background. How, how did you get involved with Roy Hobbs to start with? Well, I came back to the game in, in the mid in the in the mid '80s um, you know, when I was coaching my kids, and said I'd forgotten how much fun I had playing, and I had I had stopped playing because I wasn't good enough to compete with uh, 18, 19, and 21 and 22 year old, years old as I was approaching my 40s. Um, but we got going, and we decided to start a league in Akron. And uh, we we spent a summer playing sandlot ball, going down to the ball yard a couple of nights a week and uh, choosing up sides, tossing the bat back and forth and doing hand over hand. And uh, <laughs> and uh, then we go out and, and we play seven or nine innings as, as long as we could keep everybody everybody there or we didn't have to get off for another game. Uh, and after that, we said, right, we got to have our own league. And so we started one in, in uh, 1989. And... Uh, in 1990, I was introduced to uh, Ron Monks, who had established Roy Hobbs Baseball in uh, uh, Woodland, Davis, California, and in Orem, Provo, Utah. Um, and we joined his organization to become a part of what he was doing. Um, less than three years later, I bought it from Ron and uh, started running baseball. Now, for people who don't know, we have uh, some younger people listening to our, our broadcast. Tell them who Roy Hobbs was. Well, Roy Hobbs was a fictional hero of the book The Natural, which was turned into the movie The Natural, which um, gets airplay about once a week somewhere <laughs> on the 300 channels we can find on our television set. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Roy Hobbs was the was the guy who was the star of that, and uh, we were talking about how younger people may not remember Roy Hobbs or have seen that movie, but uh, I was very intrigued that, that you had gotten hold of that name and uh, were creative enough to turn it into a business enterprise and one that's you know been around for a long time. But before we get into more Roy Hobbs, what is your baseball background? I know you were a player and an umpire. How, how did you play Little League and college or, or all the way up through your, your youth? I played from about age six uh, through college. Um, I went to a small NAI school in central Illinois and uh, before transferring to uh, the University of Georgia. But I played through my junior year of, junior year of college, and um, when I got out of college, there was really no baseball in where I was living uh, in Chattanooga for guys my age. And so I reluctantly became a softball player. Oh. And, uh, oh, no. I, I admit it. I did it. <laughs> um, the only thing I can say about it is that uh, all of us were, most of us most of us on that team played high school ball together. So we actually had known each other for a long time. And we had pretty good, pretty good uh, fast pitch softball team. We, we, had, we, we, we had a lot of fun. And for three or four years, uh, played a lot of ball. But. Uh, it wasn't until I started coaching my kids that I got interested in playing again, and that's back when I, after I'd moved to Akron, and Akron had a, an excellent uh, over-18 league called Greater Akron AA, and it was very, very competitive, and um, I simply, uh, it was, it was more, it was, it was, it was at the time that I got interested in playing again, it was more than I could handle. And we really needed to do something to get the adults going, so we established we established that league there. 
Um, getting back to Roy Hobbs for just a second, I inherited that name from Monks. And Monks actually picked the name because Roy Hobbs represented a player who had not played in a long time and came back to the game. And he wanted to use that as a message um, at that time in the, in the late 80s as a message to all the 30s, 40s, and 50s uh, men who loved the game and had a passion for the game and hadn't played in a long time that, yes, you can come back to. You know, you bring up an interesting point because when I started playing, my interest in, in I, I never wanted to quit playing baseball. Uh, when I found out that they had a league, I had, I had played in the Dream Weeks, the Cincinnati Reds Dream Weeks. I don't know if you ever played in those or not, but that got my interest going, and that fueled, I was living in Chicago at the time, it fueled, everybody got the bug, and they wanted to start playing, but there was no organization to do that. You might have a bunch of guys get together and play on a weekend, but what has happened with the senior baseball is the same organization that you would find, that you'll find now in the youth leagues, which are very organized, has now been moved up into the senior leagues. But tell us now, people may not understand, we're talking about senior leagues. We're talking seniors here. We're not talking just 30- and 40-year-olds. Uh, for sure. Um, the amateur adult baseball phenomenon in the United States has uh, took off in the around 1990. And um, I'm going to say that there's probably close to... 5,000 teams nationwide playing in leagues. Um, some are independent. Some belong to Roy Hobbs. Some belong to men's senior baseball. And some are playing under the NABA, NABA banner out of, out of Denver. Interestingly enough, though, if you go to Minnesota, for example, they've been playing town ball in Minnesota since the beginning of time. And... There are players in Minnesota who are in their 70s who have played every year since they started playing in Little League. That's and, um, other states never really picked up uh, on on town ball like like Minnesota like Minnesota team did. Every 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 town had a team and they would organize into a federation and you would play all the towns around you and then you would move on. In California, there's the NorCal League, which is, they call themselves a confederation. Mm -hmm. They get together every December, and the teams bring in the dates that they have fields. Who wants to come play us on this date? And they've been doing that for 35 years. So they go back to the late 70s when they got started, but it's all town ball teams from around uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and they might travel two hours to play a game. So what are your age groups for your tournaments down in Fort Myers? Okay, uh, for what we do at the Roy Hobbs World Series, we're talking 35 and over, 45 and over, 53 and over, 60 and over, 65 and over, 70 and over, and we have a division for 75 and over that has four teams in it, <laughs> and they play seven games over the course of a week. Well, it's funny. If you haven't played baseball for a while, uh, I, I came to a game last or two years ago, and I think the I think I was playing in the 55s at the time, and they had there was a pitcher out there. He was 63 years old. I'm not exactly sure what age group he was playing with, 
but he had pitched the first game that day. He had gone seven innings. He was pitching the second game, and he was in his 60s, and he was throwing hard. And I don't, I don't know who he was, but I was, I was marveling at these guys because if you've not played baseball for a while, if you think pitching a baseball is easy at our age, uh, it's not. And this guy had pitched, I think he had pitched 14 or 15 innings that day. My, my point is, despite the advanced age of some of these guys, and they're not hitting the ball 400 feet anymore, they can play ball. You know, you hit a ground ball to them, they'll catch it, and they'll throw it, and they'll make the out. So if you think this is a bunch of old guys running around getting hamstring injuries, that does happen sometime. But you have some very good players who, in many cases, have either played major league ball, they played uh, professional ball somewhere, they played college ball, certainly most of them played high school ball. So, uh, again, if you've not seen these guys play, it, it's worth it to come out and play. And it's also worth it to go buy yourself a jock strap and a glove and get out and start playing again. And that's what these leagues are all about. Uh, there's that. One of the one of the really interesting things about baseball, and I'll use um, I'll use Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge as examples. That's Mutt and Jeff. That's right. Baseball is a sport that is not is a, is a team sport that is not based on how big you are. It's based on your hand-eye coordination, your ability, how hard you're willing to work, and the fact that you can think pretty good and um, and remember what a pitcher can throw, what what he can make a baseball do, and how you have to adjust to uh, to hit it. Um, it's been said that hitting a round ball with a round bat is uh, one of the toughest things to do in sports, and I know that there are people in every who represent every sport and every team sport and individual sport in the world will have their example of how they're going to uh, 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 debate that. But until you've done it, it's, uh, it's, an, it's, it's an interesting prospect. But baseball also, because it doesn't depend on what your physical stature is, it also doesn't depend on you trying to overpower another person. Um, it's about finesse. It's about running. It's a, it's it's about hand-eye coordination, and it is the one team sport that you actually can probably play throughout your life and enjoy and be able to and be able to take part in it. The other thing is, us guys are all competitive. Of course, I shouldn't <laughs> say us guys. I've been around women's baseball too, and the women are very competitive when 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 they play. Um, but we're all competitive, and and we have this passion for this game, and it's and it's 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 a, it's it's an escape from the, um, the uh, our daily our daily lives to be able to go out on a baseball field and enjoy what we're doing. Tom, are there any special rules for the older players? For example, I, I know there's no way I caught all the way through high school. I know there's no way I could catch anymore. Are there any special rules that you guys have for the older players? Well, um, we've tinkered with those rules over the years, and when we started the 48 and over division in in the in the like 1996-1997, we had some rules about stealing. We had some rules about pass balls because uh, we really we were trying to develop catchers. Mm-hmm. 
and we were concerned about um, people's physical abilities. Um, and pretty soon, 48s were playing the same rules as, 30, as the 30s and 30s and 40s. And now our 35s, our 45s, our 53s, and our 60s basically play the basic rules of baseball. We have some things that we do. Um, we put in the, we put in rules about sliding at second and rules about contact at the plate about five years before Major League Baseball did. Um, but it was it was about the fact you have to get up and go to work on Monday morning, and uh, and and work might not understand why they can't walk, yeah, <laughs> or they have a concussion. So we we did some things. Um, the irony about baseball is people talk about talk about um, contact at the plate and sliding at second, but the most dangerous place on a baseball field in senior baseball is first base. And it's because first basemen don't seem to realize the runner has the right-of-way. And they think they've got the right-of-way, and they'll step in front of the runner to catch a ball that's been thrown wide or high or something like that. Only once. I play first base. <laughs> I... and, and usually that's where the train wreck occurs. And we have, to, we, have, we have to work at that. But we haven't done the extra base on the outside like softball has. In the older divisions now, in, in the 75s, if you get the ball in the outfield, you've got to hit um, and uh, you get first base. Uh, we don't let the outfielders throw the runners out at first base. Uh, we do not allow. Um, we do not allow in the 70s and 75s. Um, we're not stealing second because the catchers are the ones who can't get the ball down there. Uh-huh. Maybe one in five catchers can. So we don't want a walk to be a double. But we allow them to steal third. We don't allow them to sacrifice. We don't allow them to suicide or safety squeeze. Uh, on on the bunts, mm-hmm. we we allow bunting, but we're not going to let that runner be running from home on on that sort of play because that's an invitation for somebody getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some very fast runners who are 82 and 83 years old who um, pin me down every year. When am I going to get steal second? When am I going to get steal second? And I said, find me some catchers who can throw you out, and then we, <laughs> then 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 we can talk about that. But the uh, the, the amateur adult game is progressing. It's growing older. And we joke about having an 80 and over division, and I think ultimately we will. Now, how many players are we going to have? I don't know. But I can tell you this. Those guys 75 and over get out there, and they're just as competitive as the 30-year-olds. They just don't run as fast. They don't throw as hard. They don't hit it as far. But they're very competitive about what they do. They have a passion for what they do, and they can't wait to get on the field to do it. You know, it's interesting. Uh, baseball is a very relative game. By that I mean, uh, as you said, you don't. If you're seven foot, and you're playing in a senior basketball league, you still have a huge advantage. You know. Indeed. In baseball, you don't. And some of the best players that I see in the in, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s for sure uh, are the guys who stay in shape. That they and that is the thing that I like best about it. I told you today earlier that I, I went to the batting cages the other day because I know I'm, I'm going to be playing, and uh, it, it makes you lift weights, it makes you run, it makes you go to the batting cages, all of which helps you stay in shape. Now, if you're contemplating playing in, in Roy Hobbs, I would I would offer this advice: get your butt in shape. Don't go down there and pull a hamstring the first, you know, the first game, and, and you're out for the week. 
So uh, it, it forces you to do that, but it, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It is with any, with any sport. But the nice thing about baseball is, as, as you look at Little League, as, as players age, the bases get longer, they run faster, they can cover more ground, they can hit the ball farther. As players age in the seniors leagues, they don't run as fast. They don't cover as much ground. Um, they perhaps can't hit the ball hit the ball as far. But everybody, Father Time has a way of making of, of equalizing everything for everybody. But at the same time, uh, how we take care of our bodies and what we do with them, baseball rewards us for doing that. And it allows us some opportunities to do some things and to uh, ex- relive our youth, so to speak, in a way that we can't do uh, in other ways. You know, it's funny you mention that because I remember playing in, in both MSBL and in Roy Hobbs, and there's a lot of former major leaguers that, that play. And sometimes they feel that because they played in the big leagues, they can come down there and mail it in. They don't work out as much. And it's the guys... It is the great equalizer because guys who continue to stay in shape, maybe they played college ball, they played minor league ball, they're the guys, if they're in shape, they're the ones who are going to be the stars down there. Now, some major leaguers are very are very good, but they sometimes they don't work at it because they don't think they have to, and uh, that will get them in trouble. A couple other questions before we, we go, move on, Tom. Uh, how many games does a team play during your tournament? At the uh, Roy Hobbs World Series, you're guaranteed six. You can play as many as ten, and then that's in seven days. And if you're if you're a weekend warrior, that's uh, that's a lot of baseball. If you play ten nine inning games, you played ninety innings in seven days. And what other tournaments do you have? I know you have some other tournaments besides your Fort Myers. Well, we do a tournament in Monterey, California, over July fourth, and uh, we do forty five, fifty three, and sixty age groups there. We have uh, additional three weekends in Fort Myers in February in what we call our Sunshine Classic. Uh, and we do all age groups there, including a father-son. But those are three- and four-day events. But we're trying, still trying to get anywhere from five to seven games in uh, three, to, three to four days. So those are, those, are, those are events where we kind of immerse people in baseball for um, those days because we also include what we call our locker room options. So they show up at the locker room at 7.30 in the morning, and they have the hot tubs to get loose. They have trainers to, uh, to work with them. Um, they have breakfast, and then we put them on the field for a doubleheader, and we feed them between games, and then when they get off after the, after the last game, there's the opportunity to uh, enjoy some adult beverages in the locker room and to sit in a cold tub, sit in an ice tub, and, uh, and get the trainers to work on them. And for all practical purposes, until 7 o'clock that night, sit around and tell lies, which is a lot of what happens in the, in the locker room. Let me get you back to the pros a little bit. What we have found is that pros who have an ego issue don't last long in the adult amateur because the guys basically tell them, we don't want you around. That's not what we're about here. Mm-hmm. And guys that uh, the guys guys who get really competitive, unless they bring something else to the table in the dugout um, and, and 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 make friends with these guys, basically end up going away. Um, in 1990, 
94-95, our 40 and over championship game. Rich Gale um, pitched for one team. And now I'm drawing a blank on who pitched for the other team. But both were on the Kansas City Royals World Series roster. They were mid-level relievers that year in the World Series. And so this game ends 2-1. to one. Uh, both right fielders committed an error, so it should have been one to nothing. But, uh, but it was it was a, I mean it was a nine inning, two hour and ten minute game, very well pitched. And so after the game, I cornered both of them separately, and just asked the question: You've been where all the rest of us dream about going, yet you're back down here playing amateur baseball again. What's up with that? Um, and the answer I got from both of them was very similar. It just said, the dugout is a drug. I miss the dugout. I miss the camaraderie. Yeah. I, and you will find that most of the ex-pros, when they get into their late 40s, into their 50s, into their 60s, if they're still playing, they're playing because of the dugout. They're playing because they're sharing their passion with other guys that have the same passion. And that, and that just kind of keeps them young and keeps them going. And they, they, they love doing that. And they don't mind sitting around telling stories. But what they want to do is they want to play and be a part of that club, which is really a very special place in, 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 in baseball. Because what's said in the dugout stays in the dugout. And you're pretty much fair game across the board. Tom, you and I talked before we went on the air, and, and you said, Mainly most of the professional guys that you have come into amateur baseball are from the single A and, and maybe the, the, the low double A leagues. Talk about one or maybe two of the most prominent major leaguers that maybe you've had or, or a high minor leaguer that some of our listeners might know and, and uh, what they have done in their league and, and uh, how they got involved with it. Um, let's talk about Dante Bichette who's out of Jupiter, Florida, and he plays in the league over there, and he's coaching his son, who is uh, second year in minor league baseball now, I believe. Wow. Uh, Dante's played in our tournament, I'm going to say, for 10 years. and um, But he's a great teammate. Um, he, he just likes to go play. He just loves the game so much that it's um, – he's one of – he – He's really good, and he actually now pitches, and because he can throw, he can throw hard. Mm-hmm. But the, his hitting exploits—he hit nine home runs one week, uh, and nobody's ever done that. But it, I, I watched one of those games where um, it's, it's toward the end of the game, and Dante's team's down two runs, and he's going to be the—he's going to be the fifth batter up in the bottom of the ninth. And I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm just telling the guy sitting next to me that. I can tell you one thing. He ain't beating me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am not giving him a thing to hit. And uh, when he did get up with two men on, the pitcher threw three balls out of the zone. It was like we were going to see an, inten- un- an intentional, unintentional walk. Uh-huh. Um, and he decided he'd sneak a fastball by him on the 3-0 count, and he hit it a long, long way, <laughs> and it was a walk-off home run. <laughs> And, um, and you know, he got a case of testosterone and said, I'm going to see if I can make this work. And it was costly. Uh, but he didn't 
He hits a home run. He runs the bases. He comes in, celebrates with his team, and he doesn't lord it over the other guys. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's where the ex-pros who get an attitude and, and, and want to lord it over the other guys, that's where it becomes an issue. And that's where, where guys will draw a line. Um, Jose Bautista would not be invited. No, invited no, over. he would he he would he he would have some issues. But you know, you've got the fantasy camps for all all the major league teams who have fantasy camps. They have to be very very careful about who they select to come in, because this isn't about them. It's about the guys who are paying five thousand dollars to come and spend a week with them, mm-hmm. and play baseball at the same time. And so. Um, I worked with um, with the A's and, and Mariners fantasy camp that was run through Dave Henderson Dave Henderson Baseball and Dave Henderson was the godfather of that camp and Dave Henderson was very particular about the pros that he brought in and he sent pros home if you didn't have the campers at heart to begin with then you didn't stay very long mm-hmm. and um, but Dave was a competitor he wanted to win. But he also loved the game and had a passion for it, and he loved anybody who loved the game. And that's what kind of what we're about and what we try to promote at Roy House. It's just family, this teammates, this dugout situation, and we love people who love the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, what do you have new coming up uh, for Roy Hobbs over the next year or two? Well, we're in the uh, second year of a, of a five-year contract in Fort Myers, uh, and it'll be our 25th year in Fort Myers, and uh, that contract has a – as a rollover clause for another five in it. So we're planning on being there for a while. We like Fort Myers, and they like us. Um, our headquarters is now in Fort Myers. We moved it from Akron a year ago, and uh, we, we, we live and breathe baseball at the uh, player development complex there, which is five fields, batting cages, the lockers, and a bunch of offices. And we, uh, we, we run food concessions and, um, and a catering business out of there, along with the baseball. Um, we are hopeful that uh, we're hearing that there's a good chance that we're going to get lights at that complex this year, which will allow us to do night games there. So that's, that'll be really kind of neat for us because right now we can only play 10-day games, and then we got to go to other places for night games. We're also talking to ABBN about televising games at the, at the World Series this year. And uh, we're in the midst of negotiations with them, and we hope to have something um, – on paper within the next 30 days and be able to announce something in June where we offer the opportunity for our teams to have their games uh, <coughs> broadcast on radio and uh, televised and archived on our website where they can go back and relive those moments uh, time and time again. By the way, for those of you who don't know, ABBN is the Amateur Baseball Broadcast Network. And uh, that would be an exciting addition to any any league. But uh, just to wrap things up, uh, give us your website, and how can people get a hold of you if they want more information? Well, the website is www.royhobbs.com. We hope to be rolling out a new website within the next 30 days. Um, And getting a hold of me is uh, really pretty easy. My email address is tg, as in Tom Giffen, at royhobbs.com. And uh, feel free to email me. I'm tethered to this little square device, and uh, it seems like <laughs> it, it, it follow, follows me everywhere. And um, 
And no, we don't work 24-7, but uh, we do put in 40 to 60-hour weeks trying to uh, take care of our customers. Well, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask him. He's from Akron. Are you an Indians fan or a Reds fan? I'm a baseball fan. Okay. Being an ex-player, being uh, I still do some umpiring, and I love this game. Uh, The Indians are the team that I follow. Um, ironically, I've been a Cubs fan since I was six years old because the people who introduced me to baseball were avid Cubs fans. In fact, that was a cousin, and he's still alive. Uh, and so last year was kind of special for him. So I kind of felt like that fall, even though I wanted the Indians to win the World Series. Uh, I really I really couldn't lose, and I just wanted it to be an epic event, and I think it pretty much turned out to be it just was. that. right. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely was. Tom, thanks for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Um, anytime. Tom Giffen, the head of Roy Hobbs. You can reach him at uh, tg at royhobbs.com, and their website is <coughs> www.royhobbs.com. Mark, we're seeing the Reds right now are winning 2 to nothing over the Indians, and your favorite Red, Joey Votto, is at the plate, and an interesting discussion happened earlier this week on the radio down here in Cincinnati, and I wanted to bring it to your attention because you brought it up a couple of times. And the, the question was, is Joey Votto the best Reds hitter ever? And when you look at that argument on the surface, you would say, not a chance. But there's a lot of stats that maybe back it up. Uh, I think Joey Votto is the best hitter in Reds history. Uh, end of discussion. That's my personal opinion. Not because, I mean, he, he's in the midst of a great career. It's likely he is going to hold every record that the Reds have offensively, uh, maybe w- with the exception of a number of hits that Pete has. But Joey Votto is not only a great hitter, he is an incredibly tough out. Uh, if you're a pitcher, and I used to pitch, you would hate to come in and face Joey Votto because you, you can throw him nine or ten pitches, and he'll foul them off until you groove one, and he'll, you know, he'll lace it in the left center field for a base hit. So, yeah, statistically, I think that he will be uh, unarguably the best hitter in Reds history when he hangs him up probably in another seven or eight years. But, uh, you know, the, the, the contenders, uh, and I'm, I'm going to go back to, you know, Frank Robinson, I guess everybody would say he's he, he's one of the great hitters of all time for the Reds. Then you have the big red machine guys. But if you look at what Joey Votto does, his body of work, his on-base percentage, I don't know what the guys on WLW said, what their conclusion was, but in my opinion, the, the answer to the question, Joey Votto is the best hitter in Reds history. Well, you brought up the one hitter that I was going to bring up was Frank Robinson. I mean, he's a guy that was able to achieve an MVP in both leagues. He also uh, won the Triple Crown at one point. I mean, he was a guy that could hit hit you, uh, have a good batting average, home runs, RBIs. I'm not sure if Joey Votto is ever going to be able to be a the type of home run hitter that Frank Robinson was. Well, don't forget, though, that Frank Robinson, a lot of his success came with Baltimore. He won his MVP with the Orioles, not with the Reds. So if the question is, you're going to look at a, somebody who's played with one team or primarily with one team, uh, you know, the Reds have uh, a lot of great hitters over the years. But if you look at the entire career, 
for for the Cincinnati Reds. You know, one one guy. Uh, you know, you have Morgan. You've got you got Johnny Bench. Uh, Joey's going to have more home runs than Bench. He'll probably have more RBIs. He'll probably have a higher, I know, clearly a higher uh, batting average. I mean, right now his his career batting average is 313 or 314 or something like that, uh, higher than Pete Rose. So by every statistical measure, by the end of his career, if, if he stays with the Reds, and that's a, that's a big if right now. Here's my question, though. You brought it. You, you opened the door on this, and we're broadcasting live. And I just want to let everybody know from the Montgomery Inn on Riverside Drive, just right on the Ohio River down here in Cincinnati, as the Reds and the Indians are playing each other just up the street at Great American Ballpark, where the Reds are leading the Indians right now, two to nothing, heading into the fourth inning. But Mark, you you brought it up. Pete Rose, what is his rec- what is his batting average just strictly as a Cincinnati Red? I think it was 301, I think, or 302, um, uh, maybe a little more than that, but but not much. Uh, Pete was Pete was a very good hitter, but he was a prolific. He, his on base percentage was about his batting average. He didn't walk a lot, uh, and Joey. Um, it's clearly, in my opinion, a better hitter because he hits for power that Pete did not. Uh, nothing against Pete. I mean, I love Pete as a hitter, and he made that big red machine go. But when you're looking at every aspect of hitting, I don't know a player out there today that is as as proficient at the science of hitting than Joey Votto. And so all things considered, you do have players who have – over their career with two or more teams, perhaps, including the Reds, may have had better numbers. I don't know. But uh, I don't think there's a better hitter in Reds history. Well, it's an interesting discussion. I know a lot of people would, would tend to agree with you that Joey Votto is the guy that is maybe the best hitter in Cincinnati Reds history. Whether or not he continues his career as the as a Cincinnati Red is open for discussion because you've brought it up several times. Boston would seem to be probably the ideal place for him to end up if the Reds were ever going to trade him away. Yeah, and I I look at Boston where they are right now. I I think over the weekend they were in fourth place in the East and and not really going anywhere. Uh, And that is not going to work in Boston. They've got the payroll. uh, They've got to replace Big Poppy. And I, I don't want Joey Votto to be traded. I hope he stays his, his entire career with Cincinnati. But uh, imagine what the Reds could do with $25 million a year over the next seven or eight years. And that's what they owe Joey Votto. So Boston can afford it. They need a first baseman. Uh, that team, unless they, uh, you know, pull out something out of their bag, uh, is going to need somebody like Votto. And imagine what they could get for Joey Votto. Well, the Indians, they're going to go with Carlos Carrasco tomorrow night. He's coming back off the DL. They put him on the 10-day DL a couple of weeks ago because he pulled a pectoral muscle. But he's tentatively scheduled to make his next start tomorrow night for the Indians here in Cincinnati against the Reds. And A couple of Indians hitters, Mark, have really started coming on. Lonnie Chisenhall in the last six games has hit four home runs and eight RBIs. He's hitting 368, seven for 19 in that span. And Edwin Encarnacion is starting to come into his own. The Indians made one slight batting order adjustment, Mark. They moved him from the fourth spot, the cleanup spot, 
to the fifth spot, and that seems to have relieved the pressure on him, and he is starting to hit the baseball pretty well. And as you said earlier, you know, the Reds may have a better offensive lineup than the Indians, and that may be the case, but I think the Indians are probably the more complete team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, but everything that you do in terms of, of, of putting together a baseball team, it's got to start with your starting rotation. And that's why the Indians are where they are and the Reds where they are because the Reds don't have starting pitching. And if you put, i tell you what, if you combine Cleveland's pitching and Cincinnati's hitting right now, you'd have a pretty good ball club. Oh, absolutely. You know, And it's starting to get packed here at the Montgomery Inn. I'm kind of well, surprised. Well, it's because we're drawing in a horde. Bring, bringing in people. A lot, lot of fans. Right. A lot of fans. Right. They're here to see me. Yeah. 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 I think that's it. Brandon Finnegan. He's moved from the 15-day DL to the 60-day DL, but like you said earlier, it's retroactive. I mean, this guy started out the first three games, and he looked like he was on a Cy Young Award pace, and then all of a sudden his shoulder just went kaplooey on him. What is the diagnosis for him, and will he be back this year? You know, I've heard that he had a sore, a, a, a weak shoulder. Then I heard he had a lat issue. So I don't know what the issue is. But I think the bigger concern uh, for Reds fans is what is happening with these starting pitchings? Why is, are the injuries recurring on such a regular basis? Is it what they're doing with weights? Is it what they're doing with uh, the, their training regimen during the year? But, you know, Brandon Finnegan is a young man. I, I don't know how they, they, they be, these injuries befall these pitchers on such a, a regular basis. And I'd have to look to the training staff, Dave. I mean, why does this happen to the Reds year after year after year? Are the guys waiting to get in shape in February before they come to spring training? Uh, Di Scafani, two years in a row now. The same thing happened to him. He doesn't pitch until the All-Star break. And Homer Bailey has been out now for two and a half years. And is he going to come back or not come back? Uh, You know, this is a situation... I believe he's got four or five years left on his contract. His career could be over. Mm-hmm. And the Reds are paying him $18, $19 million a year. And all of a sudden, this guy, is, is his career is in jeopardy. And it may not be uh, something that he can, he can recover. And, you know, that's the kind of investment people are making in pitching. And it is not panning out. And, and you know, the one thing about it, that's the one reason that A-Rod did not retire. If he retired, he forfeited the rest of his, his contract. Of course. And you know that's what, something that Homer Bailey is not going to do. Oh, absolutely. Of course he won't. So the, the now, the Reds can release him, but they still get a pain. So if nothing else, I mean, Homer Bailey, I mean, you don't want to make these personal, these comments personal. I don't mean it, Homer Bailey, as a man, but I mean, has there been a worse investment by the Cincinnati Reds over the last 20 years in a player? I can't think of one. I, I, can't, I can't think of one either. Not so, at all. Although some would say, would, some would say that Ken Gurphy Jr. did not pan out. Well, some would be wrong. I mean, they... You know, his contract, by comparison, it wasn't nearly what they paid Homer Bailey. Well, back then. Yeah, and he was productive. He wasn't as productive as he was with Seattle, clearly. But he hit a lot of home runs for the Reds, drove in a lot of runs. 
Uh, he was a good teammate. The Reds were a very good team when he was playing. So I, I don't think that's that's fair necessarily. But Homer Bailey, I, I think he's what won four or five games since he signed the contract, and that that is just a, a horrible burden to put on the front office in terms of payroll. You're, you're so limited. You've got two players making uh, you know forty million dollars, Joey Votto and Homer Bailey, and one of them isn't playing. Yeah, it was almost like he signed that contract and then everything just went to crap with his arm. Yeah. And, that, and that's the sad thing. And I still believe, and I'll say this till I'm blue in the face, the Reds should consider putting him in the bullpen. And, and they may well do that. I, I think, Dave, that's a good idea. I mean, I, he can still throw 96-97, presumably. <coughs> it's when he's pitching 110 pitches at 97. That's where you get in trouble. And if, if they did that with Iglesias and they did it with Lorenzen, I think you're right. They, they, they should put him in the bullpen. And this is remember beginning of the year, I brought up this concept of a pitching staff being made up of mainly relief pitchers, going mm-hmm. two, three, four innings. That is their that is their start. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, imagine Homer Bailey, Lorenzen, and Iglesias pitching a game, scheduled that way. Right. I mean, that would be some team would be facing you know some some gas for nine innings. So I think it's a good idea. We'll be anxious to see what the Reds do. But De Sclafani could be in the same boat. You know, I'm surprised Brian Price hasn't done that anyway. With the, with, with the situation of the starting rotation and the condition that it's been in and what he's had to work with and what he's done with the bullpen, pitching them not in any type of consistent fashion, one inning here, one batter here, two innings here, two batters here, I'm surprised he hasn't taken that into consideration and done it a couple of times this season. You know, a guy who would do it if he was put in a position where he had to is Madden in Chicago. He would take that kind of chance. But baseball is so immersed in you know what has been done over the last 30 or 40 years. But Madden last year in the World Series did pretty much what I said, suggested. Mm-hmm. He used his bullpen, and so did uh, uh, the Indians manager. Uh, because of some injuries. But, you know, the idea of sending a pitcher out there, especially a guy who throws hard, and say, okay, I want you to go seven or eight innings. Well, that's 120, 120 pitches without warm-ups. So a guy's throwing two, 220 uh, over the course of a game. And that's what ends careers. There were a couple of times last year where Terry Francona went with the bullpen. He just called it a bullpen game, and he, he pitched guys to no more than two innings. And went with five or six guys. Yeah, and I, 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 I still think that is a trend that could take off because it would save pitchers' arms, number one. Uh, even if a guy, you know, he got through, say, okay, Dave, you're going to throw three innings tonight, and you only throw 25 pitches. Dave, you're, th- you're throwing three innings. That's it. Mm-hmm. And now you can come back in two or three days, not in five or six days, and, and pitch. And your arm's not going to be hurt, and you can throw you can throw harder longer. It'll be an interesting situation when, if and when the Reds get those four guys back, if to see what happens and how they handle it. The Reds on the or the Indians on the other hand, they've got their own injury problems. Austin Jackson had no setbacks in Friday's rehab assignment with AAA Columbus when they were playing down in Louisville. They went one for three. He had a two-run homer against the bats. Jackson's on the 10-day DL with a 
right big toe hyperextension. Are there any injuries that these guys cannot have? Now we're talking about a right big toe hyperextension. <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny, and, and I'm not looking back to the good old days. I am. Uh, well, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> Uh, and I, I think the biggest reason they're so careful with these guys now is because of the amount of money. I mean, if, if you're playing back in the 50s and 60s, you wouldn't come out of there if you had a, a bone exposed because you were, you would lose your spot in the lineup, and the guys just wouldn't they wouldn't quit. They, they held on to their spots that way. And I'm not saying that's right because a lot of guys did play with injuries. Uh, they just weren't hurt. They were injured. But because of the way things were, if you're paying a guy $50,000 a year back in the 50s, it's a lot different than paying a Homer Bailey $20 million a year uh, because it's such a huge investment. So they're overly cautious and, and maybe sometimes to a fault. I think the salary's a little bit to do with it. I think more of is has to do with it is the length of the term of the contract. Back in the in the 50s, the 40s, 50s, and even most of the 60s, these guys were playing on one-year deals, and they knew right. that they were playing for next year. Yeah, that, that's a very good point, and I think that's what addresses the issue I, I just brought up. They, they knew their next contract was predicated on how they did in September sometimes. So they're going to go out there and try and you know get the numbers up so they get a $3,000 raise. Well, these guys, in many cases, the meal money major league pitchers or hitters or players are getting now exceeds the entire salary for a pitcher back in the 50s and 60s. That's no exaggeration. Zach Cozart has had an outstanding year for the Reds. He's hitting 351 in 155 plate appearances so far. He's off to his best start ever. Mark, is he the starting shortstop? for the National League in the All-Star game? Well, he should be. I mean, statistically, the answer is yes. But And on top of that, he's playing great defense. So, you know, it's not a matter of him just, uh, you know, hitting some home hitting some home runs and driving in some runs. Uh, he's been playing great shortstop. He's been, uh, as you said, he's hitting 353, driving in runs, and he's a, he's a good guy, a good teammate. But if you're the Reds, Dave, at the All-Star break, you get a 350 shortstop and the Yankees want a short, new shortstop, what do you do? Or the Washington Nationals. Washington Nationals. But they need a bullpen more than they need a shortstop. Well, the one thing I look at it is is that they need to eliminate the possibility of them having a, a shortstop problem down the road because right now they've moved their center fielder to play shortstop. Yeah. And that, that's the problem that you've got with Washington. But who's, who's more likely to be moved at the All-Star break for the Reds? Is it Cozart? Is it Votto? Is it neither? Is it both? Oh, I think it's Cozart. I mean, and don't forget who their manager is over there, that's Dusty Baker. Dusty and Baker. He, so I'm sure Dusty has fond memories of Zach Cozart at shortstop. So I, I, think, and I, think, they, I think they will trade him. Uh, they have people, you know, they can move into these uh, infield positions. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Zach Cozart had a huge injury on his knee two years ago. And it was career-threatening. And you might even consider Zach Cozart being a third baseman. Because if he could put up these kinds of numbers, he could move to third, and he would be a real asset at third base. Boy, you're really throwing a monkey wrench in at third base for the Reds now. No, I'm not saying with the Reds. I'm (laughs) saying with somebody else. Um, I mean, if a team needed a third baseman, uh, Zach is strong. I mean, and he's got some power. He's a great fielder. 
And so I think he I think he will be moved. I don't want him to be, but I think he will be. Well, as you look at what's going on right now with between the Reds and the Indians, it's two nothing Reds heading into the fifth inning of play. We told you at the top of the show the Indians have won nine of the last ten against the Reds in this Ohio Cup series, but heading into tonight, the the Indians were coming off of a three game sweep over the Houston Astros. The Astros were the hottest team in baseball, but the Indians went in, got their hitting shoes on, and swept the Astros while the Reds came in, and they were not playing very good baseball. Losers of seven of their last eight, but that's the great thing about baseball. Things can change on the very next day. You know what I thought was fun this weekend, Mark? Was watching Joe Girardi, the manager of the Yankees yesterday, go absolutely haywire on the home plate umpire, it made me long for, I mean, his whole tirade that he got tossed out of the ballgame went back, covered up home plate and everything. It reminded me of the good old days with Earl Weaver, Lou Pinella, Billy Martin. It was Billy Martin-esque, I guess is what I could say, about what Joe Girardi did. And you're going to find this crazy. Most of the things that I say you think are crazy anyway. (laughs) Nonetheless, I think baseball needs more of that. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. The, the instant replay has taken out a lot of the arguments, which I think is a good thing overall. Uh, the, 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 you can't argue anymore because if it's a close play, uh, you're going to go to instant replay. It is what it is, and there's nobody to argue with. Mm-hmm. Argue with a cameraman in New York. Uh, that doesn't get you very far. So, yeah, it's taken out some of that stuff. But I, just as, as a sidebar to that, uh, I, I saw an interview yesterday I I don't know if it was ESPN or Fox Sports, but they were talking about speeding up the game. And ironically, the last two years, the games are getting longer. They're taking these efforts to to shorten the game. But, you know, I I would like to have a list, a, a name of the individual in the world that says baseball games are too long. Because I can't find that person. He's employed at ESPN. Well, they shouldn't complain because they're selling more airtime. So, you know, this this ridiculous attempt to shorten the game by four or five or six minutes, who cares? No, I, Again, I don't know of anybody. It's like the collective, well, they said. Well, who's they? Give me a name, for God's sake, of who wants the games to be shorter. Because I've not met that person yet. I haven't met that person yet either, except I know that they're the only people that seem to be complaining about it are the ones that are on ESPN or Fox Sports 1. That That's... The only people that I know that have been complaining about it. Nonetheless, that that's where it is. But, you know, like I said, about Girardi, I loved it. But I also want to say, and, and I know you didn't know this gentleman, uh, Tom might have. I'm not sure if he did some umpiring in high school baseball around the state of Ohio. But uh, an acquaintance of mine that used to be a high school basketball coach at Fairview High School over in Sherwood, Ohio, near Defiance, Ralph Roofer. He was, a, he was an umpire in high school baseball in the state of Ohio, Mark, for the last 27 years. He did uh, two games on Friday uh, over in Salina, and in the first game, uh, something happened. I'm not sure what, but there was a collision that he was involved in, and he had a medical issue. They took him to the hospital, and he passed away on Saturday. After he hit on the field? 67 years old. Whoa. Uh, Ralph Roofer. As I said, he was a former high school basketball coach at Fairview High School, uh, an acquaintance of mine. I got to know him when I was doing ball games 
uh, up at WONW in Defiance, Ohio. Very, very good gentleman, uh, an outstanding high school baseball umpire, and we want to send along condolences to his wife and family, Ralph Rufer, gone at the age of 68. Um, right now, it's 2 to nothing, Cincinnati over Cleveland. Mark, I mean, when you look at these, should we abolish interleague baseball now? I, I don't know the, the value that they're gleaning from it. Um, I'd rather have the Reds play more games within their division where it, you know, it evens out the number of games you play inside your division than playing the Cleveland Indians. What, what does that add to it? If the idea was to generate more interest, get more fans involved, I, I think that has crested and is now probably in decline. I, I just don't, I don't see the advantage of it. If I did, I'd say, yeah, keep doing it. But who cares? I think I think it diminishes from the World Series. You know, it, it makes it a lot more exciting if you've not played a team from the other league to play them in the World Series. Uh, you haven't seen them. Uh, you know, some of these teams, you know, the, the Reds and the Indians play, I think they played seven times in spring training. Now they're playing four times in regular season. That's 11 times. If they play them in the play, in the World Series, what's the big thrill? You know, it's you know it's you see them so often. And I mean, when you look at it, Mark, does it really have the like you said the appeal anymore to what fans were? I mean, for example, the Marlins went to Seattle, with the exception of Ichiro. Who cared? Yeah. Well, let me ask you the question: If you had to play. If the Indians were playing the Reds or they were playing Kansas City and it's late in the season, which game would you rather see? I'm going to change oh, Kansas City, but I'm going to change it just a little bit. I would rather see the Indians playing Boston or the Yankees more than Cincinnati. Well, of course. Yeah, exactly. But, but certainly in your division, a meaningful game at the end of the year would be more exciting than the Reds playing Cleveland in, in May. Right. What's the point? And that and that's the problem that you've got with the, these situations is that you just don't know. And, and here's another problem that you've got with interleague baseball: it's the DH. Yeah. Right now you've got Josh Tomlin up at the plate. The Reds have a run, or the Indians have a runner at third base, two outs, and Tomlin is up to the plate. Pick one or the other. Just don't have both. You know when a, when an American League team comes into a National League city, they don't use the DH, which I always thought was almost bass-ackwards anyway. Because if you wanted to sell the DH or wanted to sell the opportunity for the pitcher to hit, you would think that you would want to show that style of play to the opposing team. And right now what you've got is the National League, when you've got the game in the National League, the pitchers for the American League hit. And it puts the American League, as far as I'm concerned, at a disadvantage when they play a National League team. Well, I'm not a fan of the DH to begin with, so I don't know why it, it's still this way. Uh, I heard at the last uh, collective bargaining agreement they were going to address it and, and try to eliminate it. But, you know, the union believes it keeps older players in the league for a year or two because they can hit. But, you know, you're right. I think it does, I think it does adversely affect the Indians, but it will not adversely affect the Reds when they go to Cleveland because they can put – a good hitter at uh, at number ten. David Ortiz stayed yeah. in the league probably five years. Yeah, longer than than maybe he should have. That's right. Just simply because of the DH. You've got yeah. Carlos Beltran, who's doing virtually the same thing. 
you know, what, name some of the other players. I mean, when they, when it first came out, it was an oddity. It was a fascination. You had the Rico Cardis. You had the Frank Robinsons that were playing the DH. You, you had uh, 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 Frank Howard was a DH when it first came out back in 73, for crying out loud. He was a DH. Yeah, you think about Rusty Stop. Sure. Uh, look at Joey Votto. Uh, Joey Votto's in great shape, and he can play first base probably for another 10 years. But imagine Joey Votto, if he wanted to play to 45 or 46 with his swing, the, the guy could get 4,000 hits because he can play forever, you know. So in that regard, it's good. But by and large, you have you have disadvantages in, in the series, in a series like this. But I, I don't know what the advantage is aside from that. Uh, for a, a team to have a DH. I, I don't understand it. Well, in this situation, of course, Tomlin grounded out to shortstop, and that was the end of the inning, and the Reds are still leading the Indians by a score of 2 to nothing as they head into the sixth inning of play. The Reds, as we said, came into tonight's ballgame with a record of 20-23. and 23. Well, They were 1-5 last week, but they're sure not playing like it tonight as they are... Uh, trying to snap that streak that they did snap. They, they had lost six in a row, snapped the streak on Saturday, but then lost again yesterday, so they've dropped seven of their last eight. Meanwhile, the Indians, they like to get on some kind of a roll, and they really have not done that this year, Mark. They haven't got on to that hot streak that normally they get on at some time during the season. Yeah, it's funny. When the Reds were winning divisions and qualifying for the wild card in 11, 12, and 14, they had an interesting approach, and I don't think it was designed, but it ended up they would play 500 for a large part of the year, uh, maybe a game of above or a game below, but around 500. And then they'd go on a 7, 8, 9, 10-game winning streak and put them into the playoffs because of one spurt you know, during the year. And this team has no chance to do that because they don't have the, the pitching. I mean, that team... You know, they, they had a great starting pitching on that team, and they were able to win seven, eight, nine, ten games in a row to, to, to jettison them into the, the playoff picture. Uh, that team is not, does not exist for the Reds now. You know, it's interesting. You brought it up earlier that they're going to unveil the Pete Rose statue next weekend for the Reds. In my opinion, Mark, and we've talked about this before, it's just another case of Major League Baseball allowing Pete Rose to come out. They bring him out whenever they've got the opportunity to make some money off of him. And here they go again. They've got an opportunity to make some money in Major League Baseball and for the Reds to sell out the stadium a couple of days while Pete's statue gets unveiled. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it, it's a tragedy in terms of you know what Pete did to himself. But at some point, I, I'm wondering... Before he dies, and Pete is what seventy three now. Uh, if he would take the step of going to them and saying, "Look, I'm, I deserve to be in a Hall of Fame, and if you don't put me in the Hall of Fame, I'm going to sue you," because they have no legal right to keep him out. Statistically, he's he's every it's acclamation. He belongs in the Hall of Fame, but you know what baseball has done to him? I mean, give the guy a break. I mean, people have committed murder. And they're out of jail in a shorter period of time than he is. So, you know, the Reds take advantage of him, as you say, when they can. So does Major League Baseball. But, you know, Pete didn't kill anybody. 
and I, we've had this discussion for seven years, uh, how much penance does he have to pay? Evidently a lot. Because, you know, it seems like it started out with the, what was it, the 100 greatest players in baseball history in, at the World Series in San Francisco that year. They, they allowed him to come out. Um, every time that they seem to want to make some money off of Pete's name, they allow him to show up on a Major League Baseball field or in a Major League Baseball park or shilling something for Major League Baseball. And what uh, happened that night? You remember that night? He got a standing ovation. It was he, the longest ovation ever. Bingo. And so that means the fans certainly were um, supportive of Pete. And isn't that what the game's supposed to be about? Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be about the fans and what they support and what... You know, I mean, that that's one of the reasons that, you know, they do everything. That's one of the reasons. They supposedly did this for interleague play because the fans supposedly wanted to see this. But when it comes to Pete Rose, for whatever reason, they just seem to have a burr in their saddle and they're not going to put, they're not going to let loose of it. Well, you know, you, it's been beat to death by, uh, I guess, people are smarter than us. But, uh, you know, Pete has not uh, done anything in the last... 30 years, I, I don't think that uh, says he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And what it, what's so hypocritical is a lot of the guys in the Hall of Fame, uh, if you're using the, the Pete Rose standard, shouldn't be in there. You know, I heard an interesting story the other day, uh, another one that Brenneman was talking about. It was back in 19, the, the winter of 77-78, when the Reds decided that it was time for Tony Perez to give over the first base reins to Danny Dreesen. And they, they did the honorable thing. They went to Tony and they said, look, you can either play part-time and stay with us or we're going to trade you someplace that you want to go. Well, for whatever reason, he chose Montreal. So they traded him to Montreal. Marty said that spring they went to training camp. They went to spring training. And within two weeks, Sparky Anderson said, we've made a major mistake. Because Tony Perez was the heart and soul of that ball club. And they traded it away, and they didn't realize what they were losing until they lost it. Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I think the Reds could have won a couple more World Series if they had retained Tony Perez. And it wasn't because Dan Dreesen was a horrible player. He was he was a, above average, a little above average. Uh, but you know, Tony Perez was something special, and he had some big years in, in Montreal. But you know, they had Ellis Valentine, they had Enos, or um, who was the other Cromartie. Uh, t- uh, Tim Raines. I mean, that was a pretty good ball club, and uh, so I, I can understand why he went there. But that did change the fortune of the Reds, and it changed the chemistry. And you know, you think back to that team, and one of the major shocks I had, you know, the '75 team, uh, they they won 108 games. Uh, the '76 team won 102 games. In 1976, that's the year they swept the Yankees. How many games did the great eight play together? I don't I, There wasn't many. 17. 17. I mean, he, they were so good, you could rest a Johnny Bench and put Bill Plummer in and still have enough horsepower to, to win 102 games. Mm-hmm. But people think that that team was dominant because they played together all the way. They didn't. No. They, they did not. They came together in the playoffs. The great eight played in the playoffs, and what happened? They swept the Pirates, and they swept the Yankees in four straight. So uh, it was a fantastic team. But, uh, you know, I, I think 
when they traded Tony. They tra- tra- you're right. They traded away the heart of the team. Up until last night, I would have said the same thing about the Cavaliers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You played basketball. You you played at a higher level than I did. You played in college. Those games are going to happen. Sure. Uh, the, 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 what you lament, though, is they had a big lead in the third quarter. And that's what you lament. But have you noticed how many games this year, not just with Cleveland, but around the league, that 25, 26, 27-point leads have been, you know, no game is safe. And I, I don't know what happens to these teams. It has to be psychological that they, they just don't work on defense. They get a big lead, and, they, they you know, they don't pressure the, pressure the team on offense. I don't understand it, but it, it, it's, I've never seen it happen this many times in a, in a single year. Well, yeah, Golden State law, or came back from a big disadvantage, 26 points to San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and the Cavaliers have been basically, they, they've given up a lot of big leads this year. Yeah. And I think they just, honestly, Mark, there are times where I watch them and I think they're just bored. Yeah, they're so much better than everybody else. I mean, I think that's what happens. They lose their focus. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know what? I think the Boston game was good for them for the rest of the playoffs. I agree. I agree. You know, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up to you. We talked a little bit about it off the air. Marlins manager Don Mattingly, and I'm surprised at Mattingly getting upset over this because he was the consummate baseball old timer in an age where. It wasn't cool to be a baseball old-timer. You know what I mean as far as him being the, being the old-fashioned throwback type of ball player with the Yankees. And now he's a manager for the Marlins, but used to be the manager for the Dodgers. He got upset yesterday because the Dodgers, who were up by five runs on Sunday, had all-star shortstop Corey Seager swinging away in the eighth inning on a 3-0 pitch. Now, first of all, you and I agree that a five-run lead even with two innings to go, is not a big lead. Yeah, I agree. And, and secondly, what is the problem with swinging at a 3-0 pitch? There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's idiotic. Uh, I'd swing at a 3-0 pitch with a five-run lead. I mean, these teams are capable of coming back and scoring five runs in two innings easily. So that's absurd. I can't believe Don Madding would get upset about that. Uh, does he want his team then to do the same thing. I mean, I can't imagine he would tell his players not to swing at a 3-0 pitch. I mean, that's the best pitch to hit, 3-0 pitch. Right. You know, but when you're looking at the Dodgers being up by five runs, have we taken these unwritten baseball rules and gone too far with them? Yeah, I think so. And, and You know, the game is different now, and I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's different. Uh, or, or it's worse. I mean, you're taking out the slide at the plate and, and, and the, the, the breakup of the double play at second base and the intentional walk now without any pitches. I'm not against any of those things. But, you know, the game has evolved. It's not exactly the same. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's certainly nothing wrong with a guy swinging at a 3-0 pitch when you only have a 5-run lead. Now, if you've got a 10-12 run lead, yeah, I guess you could have an argument over that. But no, no not 5 runs. No, and, that, and that's been, been the case. And Jason Kipnis went, just went downtown. Unless Billy Hamilton pulled that. Nope, he didn't. He just went downtown, and the Indians have pulled it within a run at 2-1. to one. I think they're cheating. <laughs> well, what what can you say? But this this is, uh, got to love it. The Indians now are on the scoreboard here in the sixth inning, nonetheless. Quick gloating, Dave. 
what what happened? You know, I'm going to go back to what we used to do a couple of years ago, Mark. On this date in baseball history, what happened? I'll even give you the year. Gee, thanks. 1985. Um, 1985. Former Reds player. Well, what, 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 what did what? scored a run in a loss to Chicago for his 2,108th run of his career. had to be Pete. It was Pete Rose. Pete Rose became the all-time leader in the National League for runs scored when he crossed the plate. 21-08 for his career. He was the Reds player manager. He surpassed Hank Aaron when he tallied the run in the sixth inning of a 7-4 loss in Chicago at Wrigley Field. Hey, Dave, I, I've got a question. You didn't probably know this, but, uh, but Tom uh, Giffen is an ex-baseball uh, writer, sports journalist. I think is the term. And I, I asked him earlier to think about something about the Hall of Fame. And he's got some opinions uh, about it, and I'd like to hear what he has to say. Tom, you, you want to hook up? Uh, we were talking about the Hall of Fame voting a few minutes ago with Pete Rose. You've been around for a long time. How do you see that? Well, uh, like a bad habit, I'm back. So... <laughs> Uh, I have real issue with the Baseball Hall of Fame. I was a member of the Baseball Writers Association. Um, I never got the 10 years in to be able to vote, but I know a lot of the voters. My problem with those guys is that they're all stats-oriented. They never played the game beyond high school if they played it that far. They have no clue what it's like to face Burt Blylevin's curveball, Nolan Ryan's fastball, or have to throw a ball to a guy like Pete Rose and know that it could end up in square in your forehead. Um, I don't think that people who haven't played the game and haven't experienced it at the highest level should be the ultimate authority on who gets in. Amen. Uh, I'm. I would. I would. I think the Hall of Famers should vote. Period. I, I a, too. A living Hall of Famers vote in the Roy Hobbs Hall of Fame. Hall of Famers get a vote. We the guys that are in know what it takes to be there, and so they get a vote. Well, take that to the next level. Then, what would be wrong if you didn't have the press vote? You just had former major league players with say ten years of experience be your your voting. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. I know that the criticism would be, okay, it's a popularity contest among your peers. Well, isn't it a damn popularity contest now among sports writers? That's right. I mean, Barry Bonds, even if he, <laughs> even if he didn't experiment with, with PEDs, um, would have a hard time getting the 75% because all the writers hated him. Yeah. And they hated him because he was not nice to them in the locker room. Exactly. It ain't his job to be nice to them in the locker room. I'm sorry. It, it's just the way it is. Um, people are people. They're going to have their personalities. They're, they're spent a lot of time in major league locker rooms. That's why I'm not interested in going to fantasy camps. Uh, I've been around these guys. Some of them are just absolutely wonderful people. They're the salt of the earth and the people you, you would love to call your personal friends. And others of them, you don't ever want to see them again because they're just not nice people. Mm 
But that's just like the general population. There are just some people who aren't very nice. Um, when it comes to Pete Rose, when it, when, it, when, it, when it comes to Pete Rose, I sure wish Pete had handled it a little bit differently 25 years ago. Yeah, and, and it would think things probably would have been a lot better had he done it done it that way. If if I'd have a whole lot more sympathy for Pete if he had if he had manned up and said, "I did it. It was wrong. You know what, folks? I know I screwed the pooch." Um, I'd have a whole lot more sympathy for him on that, and I would agree that he's been held to a little bit different standard. Were you The problem is he's being held to that standard by people who have feet of clay as well. Were you embarrassed by the Dan Lebetard situation where he tried to sell his ballot to uh, any bidder for his, for his radio show? No comment on Dan Lebetard. My mommy told me if I didn't have something nice to say about somebody, don't say anything. I feel the same way about Dan Lebetard. Believe me, I, I absolutely do. But do you think there's any way... They will even even if Major League Baseball, by some divine intervention, would come out and say, "Okay, we're going to allow Pete to be voted on for the Hall of Fame." Do you think there's any way that the writers would vote him in prior to his passing? I think if the writers have their way. No, um, I would hope that at some point Major League Baseball decides that uh, that that uh, that Pete has paid the price. Um, I, I think if Major League Baseball is waiting for Pete to crawl on his hands and knees and beg for it, that ain't going to happen. And I and I say good for Pete on that. But ultimately, I'm torn on it. I really, really am torn on it. Um, baseball has a horrid history of dealing with problems. Um, they like to bury them. They like to see if we can let's see, outlast this and get past it. It's almost like most politicians we know these days. Um, they just—it's. Um, I, I just—I mean, I'd like to see Sulis Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame. I would too. Um, and I'm still not convinced we know the total truth about that—that that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, you know, take the. The report that listed the people who had taken PEDs. Okay, so technically, if the, if, a, if a writer says I'm never voting for somebody with PEDs, all you got to do is have 25.1 percent of those guys say I'm not going to do that, and these there's 100 guys that are never going to get in, or never even be considered, or never even get any kind of consideration. You know, Mark makes the comment every once in a while that what's the difference between a ball player taking PEDs and having Tommy John surgery? I mean, it's almost the same thing because a lot of these guys are having Tommy John surgery now just to get it done. Actually, that's a pretty good argument because medical science now, well, the difference is you're taking PEDs to try and get ahead of to to gain a competitive advantage over your over your over over your opponent. Mm-hmm. You're getting Tommy John surgery in order to make it possible for me you to throw again. Now, if you're doing Tommy John surgery, 
to forestall or to do something or do something in that elbow. <coughs> Excuse me, to do something in that elbow that'll keep it from getting injured. Okay, now I've got a, now I've got another question. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings me to my favorite play of the year so far, which is the Yadier Molina with the ball getting stuck to his chest protector. I am of the opinion that that should be ruled as um, ball lodged in equipment because it lodged there because the player put stickum on his chest protector in order to gain an advantage over a runner going on a ball in the dirt. <laughs> so I would award the, I would award the runner two bases. You looked at it completely the opposite of the way ESPN tried to portray it was that there had to be stickum on the ball. No, it was stickum on on that. Their catchers were doing that. They're putting they're putting stickum on there. To, they already got the memory foam chest protectors, right? And so now they're putting stickum on it, so it either will, so it'll really not only will it deaden it, but it'll drop it in front of them, and the runner takes off because he sees the ball in the dirt, and so he's going. Well, I talked to a major league umpire two weeks ago, and he said, "Oh yes." There is no rule on that, so there's really no way to make a ruling, and there's nothing in the book, there's nothing in there's nothing in the uh, in the handbook, and there's nothing in the situations book. But there will be after the fall meetings. Yeah, I, it, and it's it's amazing when you look at that though, Tom, and and you see what happens in a major league baseball field, and and what happens between the writers and Major League Baseball players. If you're not a good friend, and, and you know, I've told Mark this story time and time again. I interviewed Pete Rose at the 81 All-Star Game up in Cleveland. Nicest guy in the world to me. And he had no business being a nice guy to me. I don't know where these these writers ever got the idea or what he ever did to them that portrayed them as being him as being a bad guy. I don't get it. He's, he, he, is a, he is a compassionate lover of the game. He is a, the ultimate competitor. And sometimes when he talked to people, that competitiveness came out. I had the privilege of being in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium the night the, the hitting streak was stopped. Yeah. Gene and, Garber. And it was, well, he was unhappy with, uh, with Roboski. It was Roboski throwing the, the Roboski who threw the changeup, and Pete was raising holy mackerel with with Roboski for not throwing him a fastball. And somebody remind him that Roboski can't throw a fastball. <laughs> the changeup is his out pitch. I don't care. He should throw me throw me a fastball. And he says, "But let's not talk about him. Let's talk about that other guy that got me out three times. Who in the hell was that?" And he was sitting right next to him. It was Greg McWilliams. <laughs> And so they shook hands and introduced, them, introduced, introduced themselves. And Pete turned to him and says, hell of a job. You really pitched me well. I was impressed by the way he handled that that uh-huh. night. I mean, he was unhappy that it ended. It, he was unhappy about the changeup. I thought was, Gene Garber threw that pitch. No, Al Roboski, the mad Hungarian. Okay, we have, to, we have to bet a beer on that one. Okay. <laughs> well, for me, it'll be a glass of wine. Okay. But getting back to this other, when I'm talking about the catcher, with the right. ball sticking on that. I have an issue with players who do things against the rules in order or that are not within the rules of the game or the spirit of the game who do things to gain an advantage over their opponent. PEDs, you're trying to gain an advantage over your opponent. 
What about pitchers like Gaylord Perry? That's who I was going to bring up. You okay. just mentioned that, Gaylord. Uh, he, gained, he, he worked hard at gaining an advantage over, <laughs> over his opponents. How about hitters with cork bats? I mean, you can go down a list of things guys have done over, the, over their careers. And, and I, Dave and I have had this debate, and I guess I'll have it with you now. I have seen guys use PEDs. And it's hurt them, not helped them. And I can go to Conseco. I would agree. And 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 uh, what's his name? Mark McGuire. Same thing. They it, they they got so big they couldn't play anymore. And who was the guy for the Astros that died um, using PEDs? Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of it could it could help in a lot of ways. Remember the guy uh, Brady for the Orioles? He hit Brady Anderson. Brady he Anderson. Home runs. Yeah, and he hit, had hit 12, 11, 13, yeah. 54, or whatever it was. Yeah. And that clearly was because of of PEDs. But I, I think people overrate them. And Barry Bonds is an example. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he was accused of using PEDs. He was the first ballot Hall of Famer. That's right. So what's the what's the beef with him in terms? Everybody knows he was going to be in the Hall of Fame with or without PDs. So does he impact the record book? Yeah, probably. But you know, I, I don't think that it, they've had the impact on baseball that people think it has. I, I don't. I think it's overrated, and I, I don't think it should have been. S- certain statistics that players achieve are. One-way tickets to the Hall of Fame. I don't care how they do them. I can't think of anybody. It's so egregious that it made them a Hall of Famer when they weren't. Now, some guys had good years, and they probably shouldn't have had. But PEDs have hurt any number of players as much as they've helped them. In most cases, among veteran players, PEDs have been used for long careers. Yeah. Not necessarily to enhance careers. They've been. I. I, can, I don't want to leave the game. I want to stay. I want to be there. And, and then it's helped them. Help them stay. How about Tommy John surgery, though? Well, we were just talking that, about okay. that um, a, a, a moment ago. Is that uh, PEDs are done to in, in, in enhance your ability. Tommy John surgery is done to repair something, unless you're doing it as a as a preventative measure. Well, the, the, the talk about that though, because a lot of guys are using PEDs for that purpose to help them heal faster. Uh, they're, they're now using injections of, of stem cells. You know, where do you draw the line on that? Well, you certainly have to. You certainly have to um, decide what you're going to allow and what you're not going to allow. Um, I think hitters already have an advantage early in the season because they can practice year-round and be ready. But if they're using it to bulk up to get more strength so they can hit the ball harder and farther, I have a problem with that because that, that's, uh, that's taking advantage of um, medical science to make you, make you a better player when the theory is in athletics all along is you become a better player through hard work and repetition and, and, uh, and working harder than the other guy. And mm-hmm. I don't think PEDs is working harder than the other guy. What, what do you do with a guy who has knee replacement surgery? It's a, it's a, fake, it's a fake joint in your knee. I, I just think it's hard to, to with, with medical science expanding the way it is, this issue is going to become more and more prevalent over the next decade. Because they, they're doing things now they could not do 20 years ago. And it does change the, the, the 
quote unquote playing ground for these players because they they're they're, they're affecting numbers because their careers can be enhanced through medical technology. And so again, I don't think that that PEDs are the big bugaboo everybody thought they were. Dave does. Uh, he, he thinks that anybody who used them should. But what you can't do, you can't prove a negative. You can't tell me who who used them and didn't get caught. And there's a bunch of them out there. Roger oh Clemens my goodness! Is the same way. Roger Clemens is the same is the same situation. I mean, he, yeah. he, he he's admitted to using them, and it, it, he's been caught using them. But yeah. I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Well, he was a Hall of Famer before that happened. But people forget back there was a time it was legal to use them. Yeah. It was it was a, it wasn't illegal to use them. It wasn't illegal well, or against the rules. Baseball needs to get its head out of the sand about PEDs and decide which ones they're going to allow people to use and for the and for and for and for, and for what reasons. Um, the the gambling thing is another is is, is another issue. Pete Rose didn't gain an didn't gain an advantage over anybody. He gained he he helped some other people gain advantages on making money. Uh-huh. Uh, by because they would follow the way he the way he was doing things. Um, I grew up in Chattanooga. In the late fifties, there was a first baseman in Chattanooga from Cuba by the name of Jesse Levan. Jesse was forty-one or forty-two years old. He was a journeyman ball player. All he knew was how to play baseball. Um, I think he had a cup of coffee in the major leagues. I'm not sure if he ever really was on a major league roster, but he bounced around. Um, minor league baseball, A, double A, and triple A for 20, 20, 20, 20 plus years. He got banned for gambling. What he did was he got drunk in a bar one night in Chattanooga, and there was a guy hassling him, and they got into an argument about foul balls. And Jesse bet the guy 100 bucks he could foul off more than 10 pitches and won it back. And the guy bet him. Jesse went out the next night and fouled off 19 pitches and won it bad. <laughs> he went to collect his 100 bucks. The guy gave him the 100 bucks and called Major League Baseball. Oh, jeez. Oh, Lord. And he got banned for life. Let me ask you this question as we wrap up tonight's show. Final question, Tom. Had Bart Giamatti not died, would Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame today? Oh, Wow. You're asking me to go in his head. Um, I think Bart would have found a way to convince Pete to do what he should have done, which is fall on his sword and understand that, that the American people are willing to give you another chance if you own up to stuff that you've done. Um, and... A lot of us don't think that gambling, that, that what he did, gambling, was that big a deal. I have I have issues with it. Um, and it, it, He knew better. The signs are all over the place. Spent a lot of years in major league and minor league clubhouses, and the signs are right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they tell you don't do it because this is what's going to happen. But, again, part of this is all up to major league baseball to get its head out of the sand and get its, get its guidelines it's fine to have the death penalty, but you also got to figure out how to have a measure of mercy involved in that when people own up to their mistakes. Right. I agree with you, Tom. Thanks. Appreciate Welcome. It. Appreciate it. Mark, it's been a memorable evening here tonight. It's first, been a fun evening, yeah. First of all, it's the first show that we've gone two hours. 
Secondly, it's the first show that we've taken on the road. I'd love to do it again somewhere sometime, maybe even come back here because it, it's been fun. We've had people stop up and say hello, wave to us, want to know what we're doing. Well, you know, I actually got an offer about that. You know, our, our in-house stalker, Linda Jordan. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Where is she? You know, Dave, is she hiding behind a corner somewhere? I, I, I don't know where she's what? at. Tom, we, we have an official stalker for us. Her name is Linda Jordan, and uh, she said we could do it in her apartment if we wanted to come in and do her a, a game in her apartment, but or her house, as a matter of fact. At any rate, uh, Linda, by the way, is a friend of mine and works on my books and movies, and Dave knows her. But she is somewhat of a stalker, I think. Fair uh, to say, she, she's a fun, she's the fun stalker. She's a fun stalker. Fun yeah. kind of stalker. Not, not so, Linda, we're sorry you couldn't be here tonight. Yeah, yeah, we we are. We you know. She could have bought us a beer. That's right. Exactly. You know, but nonetheless. Anyway, Mark, as we do each and every show, you know, first of all, I want to thank the Montgomery Inn for letting us come in here. Dean Gregory is his son, Tag, and, uh, of course, the general manager, Tom, tonight, that helped us out, set up the table and everything else. I want to thank them for their hospitality here this evening because this was just outstanding. We've had a fun time here tonight, and the Indians are trying to make a comeback right now. They're still down 2-1. to one. Uh, heading into the seventh inning of tonight's game just up the street at Great American Ballpark. But, Mark, what do the Indians and the Reds have coming up? Well, the Reds, for you, what do they have coming up over the next weekend after this week's games against the the Indians? The Reds play the Phillies. And, uh, you know, the Phillies are a much-improved ball club this year. Yeah, they are. Uh, Not not so much in the standings necessarily, but they're a pretty good ball club. And uh, who do the Indians play this weekend? Indians have got Kansas City this weekend at home. And then, you know, what, what's odd, Mark, is um, normally on Memorial Day weekend, these teams stay over. They lay over. But this year they're not doing that for both the Reds and the Indians. The, the Reds, they go to Toronto on Monday, so they're out of the country for Memorial Day weekend. And on Monday, the Indians have Oakland coming to town. So it should be a very entertaining weekend. And Hopefully we can do this again sometime down the road. It was a lot of fun. It was. This was a lot of fun here tonight at the Montgomery Inn. Hope you enjoyed it. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Mark, thanks a lot. Tom Giffen, thanks a lot from Roy Hobbs Baseball for being our guest here this evening. Glad to have you along tonight also. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. It was, it was a lot of fun. and We're going to stick around here and talk a little baseball with some of the fans also for a little bit longer and uh, get wrapped up and get out of here. But, again, we'll be back again next Monday night, Mark, back to our normal adaptation at 9 o'clock. Have a good one, Dave. All right, you too, Mark. That's going to do it for tonight's show. For Tom Giffen and Mark Donahue, I am Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us here this evening on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We'll be back again next Monday night, Memorial Day weekend at 9 o'clock. Join us then at our usual time. Until then, for the both of them, Mark and Tom, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good weekend, everybody.